It's time for your best legal defense with your host, Lonnie McDowell. This could be the most important hour of your entire week. Our program discusses the criminal defense and legal system and what it can mean to you. Lonnie and his guest experts will discuss cases that are groundbreaking and important to today's law and court system, from arrest to bail. We know you have questions about the law, and we're here to answer those too. Now, here's trial attorney and host, Lonnie McDowell. Morning. Welcome. This is your best legal defense. Uh, I'm Lonnie McDowell. And this week, I have noted uh, private investigator James Allard with me. Um, This week, we're going to discuss crime scene investigation, uh, as the show says, from streets to sheets. Uh, We've discussed with uh, Mr. Allard... uh, twice before, uh, crime scene investigation, and we're going to follow uh, up on that. So good morning, Jim. How are you doing? Good morning, Lonnie. How's it going? Excellent. Thanks for having me on today. Good. Um, as we talk about crime scenes, um, I wanted to first start off with uh, what's been happening in Paris and that crime scene. And you know, first, we'd like to uh, express our condolences to uh, all of the victims and families of the attacks in Paris. But that's got to be, I, I mean, it is a very large crime scene. And I was just wondering, how does an investigator go about even starting to deal with that type of a uh, crime scene? Well, obviously, they're going to have to get a lot of resources because it's not just going to be one person. One person may be ultimately kind of overseeing it, but there's so many people going to be involved with it. A bunch of crime scene uh, people are going to be marking, photographing, collecting and then you're going to work from outside and then kind of work in. Some people do it that way. Some people like to go from the inside and work out. Just all depends on, on, on what their policies and procedures are. But ultimately, the whole crime scene is going to be documented. It's going to be photographed and it's going to be cataloged so that they can recreate what happened. So they're basically going to use the same uh, techniques that you would on a smaller crime scene, say a robbery or, or attempted murder. Uh, as with the same basic techniques, just on a much larger scale with hopefully a lot more resources. Right. You, and you also have to, like we talked about before, is weather conditions. Is it outside? Is it inside? It's easier to maintain and, and, and keep a crime scene sealed, basically, on an inside crime scene as opposed to an outside one. Because depending on where it's at, if it's on a major street, if it's, if it's in, in, at a building, an office building, wherever it's at, it takes different. Um, you have to you have to actually work on making sure that that's protected, and you're trying to get it done as quickly as possible, but yet do a thorough job to allow traffic and and people flow out there. You can shut down a business inside or a, a residence easier than you can maintaining an outside one. And in this type of a crime scene, you have uh, multiple victims some fatalities, some that are just injured that, that need to go to a hospital. So those are the first concern, correct? Well, yes, because when anybody leaves the crime scene, they're taking out part of the crime scene. So as the person who's running the show or each person is probably going to be detailed uh, hospital, uh, you know, paramedics, all the different crime scene areas, but you're going to make sure that you're going to have somebody at the hospital Photographing the clothing, take collecting the clothing, uh, getting statements, all those things are going to happen. And that's just one part of, of the whole crime scene that you have to maintain. Okay. 
Now, you're saying that, that people will be at the hospital trying to collect clothing, take statements and things. Are there procedures set up in, in advance for the, you know, the likelihood that this would happen? Mm, not really. Not that I'm aware of. But I, again, the climate's been changing. And depending on you know, a place like Paris or someplace else may have that in, in place. You, uh, police departments have um, certain things set up, but it's not so much for crime scene protection like this. We're gonna, it's just going to be the same thing. You know, say it happened in the city that I worked in. We would be making sure that whatever hospitals, because it's going to probably be multiple hospitals right. because there's so many people involved, you're going to make sure that you have different teams going out to those hospitals, finding out who's transporting, when they transported, et cetera, so you can document all this stuff. So that's one portion of it. So it's, it's going to take a lot of resources to um, take care of it. Now, there was the Seal Beach incident, basically, right. where they did that. Now, a little bit easier, not... I mean, there's a lot of people, but a little bit easier than something where there's multiple people in different multiple um, crime scenes because it was pretty much one business. Right. You know, outside a little bit, inside, outside a little bit in the back, that type of thing. So that's easier to maintain. They just lock down the whole parking lot. They can send their resources in there. And sorry about the other businesses. They're going to have to wait until that crime scene is um, taken care of. Right. Okay. All right. Well, let's get back to, to smaller, more manageable crime scenes. Uh, we recently had a case um, which uh, involved a, a traffic accident and the uh, my client uh, allegedly running from the scene. Uh, so how does that – how do you process that kind of crime scene where it's moving? Well, again, if say they're pursuing somebody, I don't know the, all the details on, on that in particular case, but say they're, they're in pursuit of this person and they throw out items. Right, okay. which happens a lot of times. A lot of times. So what, what's happening is usually the officer that's in pursuit or at least the person that's, that's following the officer. Cause, and it also all depends, is it a one-man unit or a two-man unit or one-man, two-person unit? Okay, because if you have two people in the car, one is normally on the radio – calling out the speed, calling out the direction, calling out uh, if there's been something thrown out there to alert the other units that are following, hey, there's a piece of evidence that was tossed out at whatever. So they would collect that. They would stop you know, and, and get that, collect that, and then continue on. Some police cars have the video so you can actually see the item thrown out, right. okay, and they can describe it. And, and then again, you continue. So now the car stops or some, even some people will slow down. And what they would try to do, and hopefully I'm not giving them any ideas <laughs> that they don't already have, but they'll slow down and they'll jump out of the car and leave the car running. So right. now that car goes off and it could hit somebody. So now you, the, the police have to have two separate things they have to maintain. So hopefully they get enough people They'll have a helicopter or something else that can do it and uh, follow them. So now you always go after the driver. That's what we're taught. You always go after the driver. You want to make sure you get the driver. Now, if the car careens in something, they want to make sure nobody else is hurt there because that could be a separate, another crime scene See. if somebody's injured there. So then you follow this person. You chase them down. If they go in through homes, different places like that, you want to make sure that you have a visual on the person. And you know if they're changing clothes, discarding stuff. So that's why you're, you, you, you kind of document where you're running 
so that you can go back later on and see if there's anything that's been dropped. Right. Now, and I know this is a defense that, that I've used in, in, in several of my cases, is when something is thrown from the car, uh, this is Los Angeles and not the best maintained uh, streets in the world, is how do the police figure out what, what it was that was actually thrown from the car when there's a lot of debris, shall we say, in the neighborhood? Well, mostly what's going to be thrown out of the car, I'm assuming it, it just all depends on the reason for the, the person failure to yield and, and starting the pursuit. Was it something that they were leaving a bank? Was it something that they did just did a residential burglary? Or is it just a regular car stop and they didn't stop? So all these are factors that you go. So, But most of the time they're going to be thrown out weapons and drugs and maybe some other evidence if they've done something to try and, and spread it out. Well, such as, you know, clothing. gloves, yeah. clothing, uh, sometimes tools, a screwdriver, either for, you know, prying Probably. something open, something like that. Now, I didn't notice, a, you know, uh, a lot of times the police will come up with a baggie of, of drugs. Uh, when it's in a baggie, it's one thing, but if you puncture the baggie and dump it out as, as the car is going, it's a lot harder to, you know, collect that evidence. Uh, yeah, I think it'd be virtually <laughs> impossible. Yes. Well, you could still you would still be able to find. Um, I would think certain pieces of, of you know you method might, or pills. Yeah, you or might something. find a rock or a pill, but then now it's trying to show that that's theirs, especially like you said in L.A. Right, and that's what I'm asking. How how do you go about trying to to prove that? How do the police do it? Well, I mean, again, I watched him do it at this location. Okay, so if we're at at uh, walk and don't walk, and uh, that's when he did it. Right. And it's pretty simple to say that more than likely, that's his because I saw him do it, I'm behind him, I'm this far behind, and I described the item and it happens to be in the same spot. So okay. all those factors would be something you would take in consideration. Right. Now, of course, on TV and in the movies, the crime scene investigative unit would, would come out, uh, you know, all perfectly dressed and, you know, to a bloody scene in, you know, white pants and a nice white shirt. Uh, but in this type of a case, crime scene, you know, wouldn't necessarily be called out. It would be the officers collecting it, correct? Correct. Yeah. Again, it depends on what we ultimately find out. If we find out this is a big crime, then you want your crime scene people to get there. And normally a sergeant or somebody is going to make those determinations if we need to call detectives out. Okay. on the situation. So every situation is there. But the police need to articulate and document what they did and why they did it. Okay, I didn't call CSI. CSI was not necessary. I collected it. It was this one piece of item, blah, blah, blah. Or I photographed it because they give you cameras. Now, again, we talked about this before. The police shouldn't be using their own cell phones. <laughs> because I will subpoena them. Yes. <laughs> and see what other photos they might have. Yes. So you don't want to do that because and, and it kind of messes up the chain and all that other stuff. Oh. A chain of evidence when I'm saying the chain. Right. Now, are officers at the academy kind of trained in doing basic uh, CSI work or it just comes with being on the job? Well, it just all depends on what agency, too. Um, if it's a big agency, normally the they will have their CSI people, their crime scene people, and they will respond to whatever their criteria is. Some other cities, mid-sized cities, uh, like where I came from, 
they would actually have the new officer. I don't know if that's a great thing to do, but the new officer would assist our crime scene people. And okay. so that what they're learning how to do that stuff, you know, with the tape and 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 um, collecting and dusting and, and doing those types of things. Obviously, if it's a big thing, they're not going to do it. We're going to have our crime scene people do it. But to dust, you know, there was a burglary and there's some prints there. They may dust and they'll, they'll put out the tape and collect the tape and see if they can and pull up some some uh, latents. How about just things like uh, swabbing for DNA? Do the uh, officers generally do that or is that something that the crime scene photos should do? Uh, crime scene people should be doing that. You don't want to do it. Now, specifically for like DNA of a person, mm, that's not hard. They'll have a kit and the actual kit is with two long um, Q-tips for lack of a better <laughs> thing. There's instructions, okay, what you're supposed to do is put on your glove. It goes from like anybody can do this, okay? Right. When you open bag, put on gloves, okay? And you get you tear. You have this ready, so you take the one swab, put it in their in their mouth, and then swab the inner of their cheek there, and then you put it into this. You know, some of them will have a cap that you can put it on. Some of them will just put it in a little envelope. So there's different ways to collect it, also. Okay, and. Uh, uh, patrol officers generally have these kits with them, or they can have the kits. A- again, it just all depends. Some agencies are going towards that to help out because it's just to swab somebody is easy. Are they going to be swabbing a crime scene? No. Are they going to be swabbing a-, a gun? They shouldn't be. That's where they're going to collect it and either send it off to the county to do it or have their agency do that type of thing. Okay, so that's a much more technical. Uh, needs more technical know-how to actually know exactly where and what to swab on, on let's say, a weapon. Right, yeah. There's, there's certain areas that the, that the person's going to have you know, more likelihood that there's going to be some DNA on it. Okay. All right. Well, we're talking about uh, crime scenes and uh, collecting evidence, and we're going to get into uh, some different uh, cases that we've worked on uh, right after the break. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Have you been arrested? Is someone you love in a legal jam? Don't get advice from just anyone. Call the criminal defense experts at McDowell & Associates. Attorneys. McDowell & Associates has over 20 years of legal experience. The National Trial Lawyers Association named us one of the top 100 California criminal defense trial attorneys for two years in a row. We know that sometimes good people just make bad mistakes. We know the system, and we know how to fight for you. We know what the prosecutors will do. We know their weaknesses, and we'll do everything at our disposal to get you the best possible outcome. Your case will receive the personalized attention it deserves. McDowell & Associates, attorneys, has the experience and the skill to make sure you or the ones you love receive the best legal defense and strategy. Call 213-401-2322 or visit mcdowelldefense.com. That's 213-401-2322 or mcdowelldefense.com. Say habla espanol. When your future is on the line, your future is our business. Call us at 213-401-2322. 
If you hear a dog barking or an angel singing, then you know that you are listening to Waking Up in America. Heard every Wednesday at 3 Pacific Time, Valerie Kirkard and all of her friends will bring you powerful and humorous discussions that raise thoughts and give you insight on how to live your life to its fullest potential. Adventure is always a must on Waking Up in America with Valerie Kirkard every Wednesday at 3 Pacific. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. This is your best legal defense with Lonnie McDowell. If you have a question for the host or guest, we're ready to take your call at 1 866 472 5788. That's 1 866 472-5788. Be sure to tell the screener if you need to remain anonymous with your question. You may also send an email to radio show at mcdowelldefense.com. Now, back to the show. All right, welcome back. This is your best legal defense, Lonnie McDowell. I'm here with my guest this week, James Allard, and we're talking about crime scene investigations. So, as we were uh, ending the last segment, we were talking about training that officers may or may not get uh, in collecting evidence. And you were saying that some academies, they'll get some training, but other, it depends on the department and its size. Right. And you got to remember, it's been a long time since I've been in the academy and they're always changing and, and updating <laughs> stuff too. So yeah, they're, they're, they're moving along, but being in the business, you know what they're doing. The, the, the police will learn about a lot of things, but they're not the ones going to be dealing with that. And it's segment. And again, the patrolman gets there, They'll find out, oh, there's a, a dead body or there was a break-in or there was something. So then they, they have certain things they do. If they get to a point where it's a part of their um, procedures, they will contact it, their supervisor who will then contact the detectives. So the detectives respond. If there's, they come up on there's a dead body in there. Okay, they're okay. going to normally call detectives. We're going to find out, is it a suicide? Is it a natural? Is it a murder? That type of thing. Okay. Um, now, one thing that my, I get questions from my from my clients a, a lot of times, or you know, early suggestions from them as, as uh, you know something they think is wrong, is chain of custody. Can you explain that from the crime scene through to court? Well, okay, the crime. Anytime you you go to to a location and you collect something, you've created the chain of evidence because you're writing your report. You were, you responded to a location for whatever reason, okay? okay? And then you go there. So that call, you've been how you were dispatched, meaning was it a 911 call? Was it a, just a call for service? Again, the difference would be, oh, somebody broke into my house, 911. Somebody broke into my house or I found my uncle. He's laying on the floor and he's not moving to... Um, a passerby, somebody calls in, says, hey, um, there's a suspicious activity over here. So wherever, whatever, however you get there, it starts from, from being the call to the police station, then from the police station, from dispatch to the police officer, who then goes to the location, and then they determine what's going on. What type, what do I have here? Do I have just a, uh, you know, somebody calling because they heard some noises, so now the police will go and they'll take a look. Now, if they're there and they're taking a look and they see there's somebody that needs help inside, they'll force entry and they go in there and they find out it's a dead body. Boom. Now they're going to stop. Okay. okay. They're going to stop 
And then they're going to say they're going to check the rest of the house real quick to make sure that there's, there's nobody no else, else there, there right. or or you know somebody else may need help. But then they'll shut it down. Then the detectives will come out, and then then that's how you backtrack. Now, if there's anything in there, the body, including the clothing, where the where the policeman went in there, where the paramedics went in to check on this person. Okay, all right. that stuff needs to be taken in consideration. And so it should all be documented as to who was there at what time and exactly what was done. Right. Which I find a lot of times is quite lacking in the police reports that I get from a lot of my clients. It seems that that, especially with certain a certain large uh, police department near here, um, that report writing doesn't seem to be a great skill. <laughs> and, and actually, it's one of the most important things because anytime you're you're supposed to be writing a report that that somebody is reading that they understand they can from that report they can put themselves in that location and they know what happened, okay, right. or at least what that person has done. I came, I opened the door here, I noticed that the lights were on in the house. That the difference from a ransack or one drawer being open radically different okay mm -hmm. so how this person documents but that, those are actual questions on what what this officer's perception you're getting the officer's perception of what they are seeing and well, doing and, and one thing that I generally use somewhere either in my opening or closing and and try to bring out during during my questioning uh, and cross-examine of officers is if it's not in the report it didn't happen and actually that's the way it was <laughs> trained in the when we were trained is, if you don't write it down, it didn't happen. Right. Okay. Because there's no documentation that, you know, okay, six months later or a year later when, when we finally get this thing to trial, and now all of a sudden the officers testifying, oh, yeah, when I went in, the lights, you know, were, were flashing. It's like, well, that's not in your report. And Why? <laughs> exactly. And those are the significant things. And that's ultimately, once the police officer writes a report, it gets approved. And that's what the supervisor is supposed to be reading and understanding also. And if that person was there, they can say, uh, hey, you forgot this. You right. need to redo that or you need to, to add more information to it. Now, I, I, you know, and I realize, you know, uh, you know, you're not writing the report generally as you go. Uh, it's written up a day, you know, either later that day uh, or, at, you know, right after you know, that call is cleared. You know, sometimes the next day, sometimes a week later, I've seen some reports. But... It's not contemporaneous, so obviously certain things are, are by memory, but you know a memory is much better closer to the event than six months to a year later. Oh, absolutely! But n normally you're going to be taking notes. Uh, there, you get there, you're taking notes, and now with technology, and most agencies are given people recorders, and this is what we did as detectives. You would go there and you just start dictating what you're seeing. What you're seeing, okay, so that you can recapture. The crime scene, okay, the lights were on. Then you would ask, was this door open, unlocked, locked, etc.? And then you and you move along through the whole crime scene that way. Right. And it's because those reports are so important going down the line. Oh, absolutely. Right. And, and, and again, we're taught. You're writing this. It's so important because once you write this, it's in stone. Right. So later on, you need to make sure you have this. And most people, and, and, it's, and it's correct to do this, is we take the notes, we put it in our report, and you destroy the notes. You can't keep all these notes. And then even if you kept them, 
because I've known some guys that have kept them, and I would ask them. I go, so how do you index them? Right. How, how, how do you how do you know which date that happened, and and how easy is it to do it? Are you taking the time to do all that stuff? No. So you get rid of your notes. Right. Uh, which. Unfortunately, as a defense attorney, I always like the notes if I can get them. Because sometimes the notes are different than what's in the report. Right, because again, you write your notes and now you're typing your report or you're writing your report and you're doing it from memory. Right. Okay? So you go, oh, if you don't glance and, and look at your notes and depending on how you take your notes, because some people are better at taking notes than others. Mm -hmm. So, and then these reports are just not transcribed notes. They're now a written summary of your notes. Right. And again, as a training officer, that's what you tell your trainee again is you're writing this report as if somebody else is going to look at it, which they are, and then you're, they're going to see through your eyes what occurred. So that's what you have to be able to document and write. Now, you're not going to get everything, and, and, but it's, you're not going to remember something extraordinary, okay, because anything – extraordinary should be in the report. So there might be some minor details. Do you remember if that window was opened or not? Uh, I don't remember that. Right. I think it was. I don't know. You know, that type of thing. But, you know, the body was face down. You should know that. Right. Okay. And, and it, it should, should, be, should be documented. Right. And now I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit. Um, I'm ready. <laughs> I know you are. So when I'm, uh, have a, officer under cross-examination when I'm, when I'm in trial or a prelim. Um, and I'll ask a question or you know, sometimes a district attorney will ask a question and I'll ask a question and the officers, well, mm, I can't remember. Uh, can I check my notes to refresh my memory? How much of that is refreshing memory and just how much of it is just reading from the notes? Well, okay. And this is, you, you know, most of the general stuff. But what you defense and, uh, attorneys ask is specific questions. Yeah. So if you're asking <laughs> me a specific date or time, regardless, I know that there was a time and there was a specific date. I'm going to take that moment to look at it because if I tell you it was Friday and you go, oh, well, per your report, it says Thursday. Then I look like, like I don't know what I'm talking about. So I'm going to take that moment and say, I'd like to look at my report to refresh my memory. So that's what it's for. I, now, if I'm regurgitating and every time you ask me a question and I don't know and I asked her to look at my report, it would be like you have no independent recollection, recollection of what's going on here. Right. But the police officer should be prepared. Okay, I know when I'm going to go to court and I know when I'm going to be there, so I should be reading my report. Right. And that's one of the first questions out of my mouth is have you – you know, what have you reviewed for your testimony here today? Have you reviewed your report? Have you, did you find any, you know, inaccuracies in it? Is there anything you want to add? Anything you want to detract? And lock them down to their report. Sure. So now they're locked down to that report. But, you know, one of the things that, that I always find just amusing is the, the DA will, to establish which gun was used, ask them for the serial number. And they'll, oh, I need to refresh my recollection. And then... All of a sudden, they look at the report and they remember a thirteen-digit you know, number. It's like they're reading that. <laughs> well, yeah, you have to read that because, uh, again, who is going to know the serial number? I, but, uh, we train with our guns and we have our, 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 our guns all the time. And you try to memorize your serial number, but 
sometimes you change guns too. So it's like, hmm, I don't know all of them. All right. So yeah, you need to look at it. That that's just normal. So I mean, right. yeah, I'm going to look at my ser- that serial number, and yes, that's the same number. That that's the same number. But then, you know, I'll have officers get up there and try to to tell me that. Oh yes, I remembered the number. I just needed to like refresh my memory. So they can never you know no. remember that number unless there's some savant of some sort for numbers. Yeah. And, there are, and I've seen some guys. Some guys have some crazy good memories, but not that many. Not that many. Especially officers who have been out for a while uh, in the field generally tend to, uh, I find, use the I need to refresh my memory more than younger officers. And I think that just comes with, with job experience and, and testifying. Now, good question. As part of the academy, do uh, you have classes in how to testify? Yeah, they, 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 they had books and they talked about it, but it wasn't like you'd get up there and do mock stuff, at least at the time that I went. I mean, mm-hmm. academy is longer than when I, when I went through, so they may be doing more stuff like that. Um, they teach a lot of different stuff. The, the hand-to-hand's different. Um, obviously, case law is different, so they have to keep changing right. and, and updating on that. But testifying is something. What you address appropriately, how you're supposed to, to interact, and that's why you'll have officers just yes, no. And, you know, even then the DA will say, just answer the question, you know, because some, somebody such as myself may, may go ahead and articulate more than, than they want to hear. A little chatty. Yeah. Uh, those are the officers that I like because you tend to, to get uh, a lot more information than the DA would like you to have uh, when, the, when they're going on. Uh, anyway, so I want to talk about uh, moving crime scenes indoors and certain, you know, the challenges that, uh, you know, an indoor location uh, can uh, cause. Uh, but uh, we're almost at break, so let's take our break and we'll talk about that on the other side. Okay. All right. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. Tune in each week for Monica Phillips and powerful conversations. This is a thought provoking show for business people, leaders, and entrepreneurs. We'll feature today's thought leaders and industry trendsetters from across several locations and industries. Give yourself permission to be inspired and live a fulfilling life. Be sure to listen to Powerful Conversations live every Tuesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, 12 noon Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have you been arrested? Is someone you love in a legal jam? Don't get advice from just anyone. Call the criminal defense experts at McDowell & Associates. Attorneys, McDowell & Associates has over 20 years of legal experience. The National Trial Lawyers Association named us one of the top 100 California criminal defense trial attorneys for two years in a row. We know that sometimes good people just make bad mistakes. We know the system, and we know how to fight for you. We know what the prosecutors will do, we know their weaknesses, and we'll do everything at our disposal to get you the best possible outcome. Your case will receive the personalized attention it deserves. McDowell and Associates, attorneys, has the experience and the skill to make sure you or the ones you love receive the best legal defense and strategy. Call 213-401-2322 or visit McDowellDefense.com. That's 213 401 
1-800-227-2322 or mcdowelldefense.com. Se habla espanol. When your future is on the line, your future is our business. Call us at 213-401-2322. Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com. This is your best legal defense with Lonnie McDowell. If you have a question for the host or guest, we're ready to take your call at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Be sure to tell the screener if you need to remain anonymous with your question. You may also send an email to radioshow at mcdowelldefense.com. Now, back to the show. All right, welcome back. I'm here with uh, private investigator James Eller, and we're talking about uh, crime scene investigation and different types. And James, uh, I want to move to indoor uh, locations now. We, we've talked pretty extensively about outdoor locations in this show and, and in our previous show, uh, but we didn't deal much with inside. So I mentioned that um, an inside location causes some, uh, you know, different problems, shall we say, or, or challenges, especially dealing like in small spaces. Yes. I mean, every crime scene is unique um, inside, depending on the house, depending how many people are in there. Are there people currently inside the house and you discover that there's a crime scene inside there? You, you have to separate people. You have to pull them out of the house. You have to do interviews. And then you're going to try and, and and depending on what type of crime scene see this is what i'm saying it's really hard for me just to say this it, say there's a dead body in there well then we're going to make sure we see what happened to that body real quick to see if those other people that are inside the house if we have to do what's called gsr gunshot residue to see it to bag and tag their hands because we don't know if they're part of it they're right. witnesses of how it went down so there's a lot of things that get involved with um Crime scenes. So, but that's once it's. But the nice thing about a small crime scene is it it's you don't have to go too far out. But with any crime scene, we talked about this last time is you have an inner perimeter and outer perimeter. Okay, so where the body is or where the actual break in is, you want to kind of keep that contained until your CSI people have an opportunity to work it and then work back out. So you don't want people coming inside. Right. And from from uh, what I've seen uh, during testimony, uh, either in prelim or, or at some trials, uh, I seem to, to find that younger officers seem to get the uh, the dirty work. <laughs> Is that just a coincidence or? <laughs> I don't know if it's coincidence. <laughs> Somebody's got to learn and that's how you learn. So, yeah, I can give you an incident. There was one time, uh, you know, you get there, it's a check on the welfare. That means that somebody wants you to go to somebody's house because they haven't heard from their relative or a friend or something for several days. So you go there, and the experienced officer can tell certain things. Okay, you get there, and there's <laughs> there's an odor, okay, that's emanating from the house or the vehicle or something, but you can't really see inside the car or inside the house. But so as you move around, and you go to the back because you got to search the whole house, you know, because obviously the dead person is not going to answer the door. And if they do, it's I, zombies. And what are you supposed you, to do? We've got another problem. Head. Yeah, shoot them in the head. <laughs> so you you go through the back and you and you go there. Now the trained officer is going to see, well, that person hasn't been heard from in four or five days. The flies are going to be in there. So you look in the window seal and you see a bunch of flies. 
you have an idea what's going on in there right. with, along with the smell. So once you talk to your new person said, okay, what are we going to do? Because you want them to think about and, and that's how you train. Well, we're, we're going to have to make entry. Okay. Do we find out if a neighbor has a key? Do you look, did we look for the key? If not, then we force entry because we're there to help out people. Right. So they get in there and you stand back as you're the season officer and you let them go through <laughs> and then they get that big strong smell of, of a dead body and you never forget that. And then they, they don't feel that well and it's all part of maybe uh, you know, yes. the initiation. Yes, when I was at the uh, U.S. Attorney's uh, Office uh, extraordinary, uh, in Las Vegas, and we actually went to the morgue to uh, observe autopsies for a day. And that smell just, it stays with you uh, for quite some time. You know, it's, even after washing the clothes I wore that day five or six times, I don't know if it was just psychosomatic or, or whatever, but I could smell it. And even to this day, occasionally, I will just get that, that odor back oh, back and you you never forget it. No, you know it, and you and you, you yeah, it'll come back to you in in, in the strangest places. You know, I was going to do an extradition, and and they put me up in a hotel one time, and I remember, and I go in there, and I go dead body. So I walk out and I said, I don't know if you had one in here or not recently, <laughs> but I'm not going to stay in there. Stay there. Yeah. So yeah, you just you just know that smell, and you just it never leaves you. All right. So with the uh, younger officers, um, you, they tend to do more of the, the dirty work first to uh, train. Right. It's all part of the training. So again, I'm now, I'm the training officer and you're my trainee. We're monitoring. We'll have an area that's a, that we're assigned to. So anything that happens there, we're on it. Okay. But if there's something that's good, meaning something that's a good learning experience, a dead body, a car accident, a, you know, a good burglary, a good assault, whatever it is, a shooting, we're going to answer up for that and we're going to be the handle and we're going to drive over and that person is going to start working it so they get exposed. And I can give you a, a prime example. When I was trained back in the day in uh, a big agency, well, my training officer worked graveyard only. Okay, so okay. not that busy most of the time, and and that location where I was wasn't that busy at, at in graveyard. So I'm off a of training, so I think I know everything. And the very first call I get is a, a dead body call. <laughs> okay, well here I am. I'm 21. I go inside. Yep, yeah, there's a dead body in there, and I got the family members all upset and and talking to me, and I truly had no idea what I was doing. So then what do we do? We call the coroner and the coroner says, well, we're going to be a little late. We've got a lot of stuff going on. It's going to be like four hours. So right. here you are in a place with a dead body. You don't even know how it, why it's dead and, and you have nobody helping you. Okay. So what I did I, from after learning that, I made sure that all my trainees – and everything learned as much as we possibly could and that's what we do there so there are certain things that you do when there's a dead body you want to see if there's medication depending on how old the person is right. you want to you check for all medications if there's nothing visible i mean if there's not a knife or a gunshot wound you're looking for medications did they overdose how uh, have they been sick all these different things that you're looking for to find out are they drug users right, you know, right. did they od was it a natural cause or, or right or were they helped along uh but what are the, you know, I think uh, 
what they show in movies all the time is covering the body with a sheet. No. Right, exactly. No, no. Well, as a defense attorney, I like when you guys do that. Yeah, well, again, <laughs> why is it bad? Yeah, <laughs> you don't want to contaminate the scene. That's the whole reason why somebody who's been around, they and they, and it's a lot, and we talked about this last time, a lot of people don't realize that the police can pronounce somebody dead. You don't have to have the firemen come over and put the little stickers on them. If it's obviously they're dead, they're decomposing, you know, they're dead. I don't need to bring in the paramedics to stick those things on there and contaminate the scene. Right. Because we don't know how, why they're dead yet. So there's a lot of things here, but yeah, um, you don't cover the body. Now, you want to protect the body. Okay, you may put up a tent type thing to protect it from the elements if it's outside, but there's no reason to have to protect it inside. Right. And even on that one, I, I at least knew enough not to cover the body. I just shut the door so the family didn't keep coming in. Keep and out. Coming in, right. But I have had cases where they have taken something and covered the body. Even if it's the, if they were found in bed, they pulled the sheet up that they were, were un, partially under, yeah. which, of course... Ruins all your forensics. Well, or at least well, it ruins a lot of stuff because attacks. now I come in and I'm the detective and I say, "Why is this person's got their head? Why is their head covered?" Right. Okay. Because you're trying to recreate how this occurred, and you and you go, "Was that like that?" So you have to ask questions. And again, you have to ask questions from the officer. So that's part of the thing when the detective comes out is who first responded. I'm going to take that person and I'm going to say, "Okay, tell me what happened. What did you right. see? What did you see? What went on?" Now, well, let's reverse it. They come in and the body is covered. They either, if, if it was a murder, someone covered them, which generally indicates, you know, that uh, they have some type of remorse, um, or they just died naturally under the covers. You, you need to pull the covers back to determine if they're dead. Do you recover the body or do you leave it down? Well, that's a good one. <laughs> you should leave it down. You shouldn't recover. Okay. Right. If you pull it down, just leave it the way it is. I mean, there may be people to debate that, but you don't keep going back and forth. In my opinion, if you move something, you just document it. It's just the same thing like if the, if the firemen come in and you, they take off all their stuff and they're thrown on the ground, you leave it. Don't collect it. It's all part of now the part of the crime scene. Crazy. So you want to... Photograph it, and you'd go as a defense. What is that doing there? That's when the firemen came in, and they're going to put their little strips on, and they took off their glove, took their gloves out of their pouch, and that's the debris. So you leave everything, right? Yeah, because I've had some cases where they've actually recovered the body, and you know, obviously, as part of the defense is, well, obviously, you contaminated it because once you pulled it down, you know hair or whatever got onto it and you now it's on the body it wasn't originally there so that's why i always wondered you know what is the actual protocol for that because either way you've disturbed the crime scene right the crime scene is going to be somewhat disturbed you're trying to do as little as possible but you're you're stepping into something that's already occurred so you have just have to be cautious and that's why you document what you did right okay so you can say yeah that's a possibility counselor but you know not only is there hair, but there's DNA. <laughs> okay, well, it's transfer. Sense. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> there's there's always a, there's always a defense to that. Um, the TV shows, and I keep going back to this because it's kind of the myth and the reality of, of uh, you know 
CSI, which so many people watch and, and now get there, as I find it when I'm you know, questioning a jury, is where they get most of their knowledge. It used to be law and order. Now it's CSI. And you know, everyone wants all of these you know, gadgets and things. Um, how much of the, and I don't know, have you ever watched CSI? When it first came out, I did. But as soon as you see that the CSI people are doing all the interviews and the homicide detectives standing back and not really doing anything, <laughs> they go, okay, this is pure fantasy. Or they get something and all of a sudden they hit a couple keys and the person's whole history pops up on, on the computer and they know who it is. And then they hit a couple more keys and they have the satellite come in and it tracks them and they know they're going northbound on, on don't walk. You're like, right. really? Wow, I want that. <laughs> right. Well, I want to talk a little bit about uh, some of the uh, the things we see on on CSI. Some of the things that you mentioned, a couple of others that, that I want to want to bring up. Uh, but we're going to take a short break, and uh, we'll talk about that on the way back. Number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. Have you been arrested? Is someone you love in a legal jam? Don't get advice from just anyone. Call the criminal defense experts at McDowell & Associates. Attorneys. McDowell & Associates has over 20 years of legal experience. The National Trial Lawyers Association named us one of the top 100 California criminal defense trial attorneys for two years in a row. We know that sometimes good people just make bad mistakes. We know the system, and we know how to fight for you. We know what the prosecutors will do. We know their weaknesses, and we'll do everything at our disposal to get you the best possible outcome. Your case will receive the personalized attention it deserves. McDowell and Associates, attorneys, has the experience and the skill to make sure you or the ones you love receive the best legal defense and strategy. Call 213-401-2322 or visit McDowellDefense.com. That's 213-401-2322 or McDowellDefense.com. Se habla espanol. When your future is on the line, your future is our business. Call us at 213-401-2322. Tune in to The Patricia Raskin Show on VoiceAmerica.com every Monday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time. This is the program that helps you turn obstacles into opportunities, challenges into solutions, and find answers to tough questions with the award-winning powerhouse voice of radio, Patricia Raskin. So tune in and call in to The Patricia Raskin Show, Mondays at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time, right here on the Voice America Variety Channel. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com This is your best legal defense with Lonnie McDowell. If you have a question for the host or guest, we're ready to take your call at 1-866-472-5788. That's one 866 472-5788. Be sure to tell the screener if you need to remain anonymous with your question. You may also send an email to radio show at mcdowelldefense.com. Now, back to the show. 
Yeah, well, welcome back, and uh, I'm here with uh, James Allard, private investigator. And just before the break, we were talking uh, kind of about the CSI effect, as I generally refer to it uh, when I'm in trial, which is the the myth and the reality of what people have seen on the CSI show and what they actually expect when they enter the courtroom and what they plan to see. And I know this is a problem both for the defense and for the prosecution, although I think generally it's more of a problem for the prosecution because my experience, at least in the courtroom, has been that jurors expect that. They expect that every police department, and I you know, practice here in L.A., uh, in Orange County, um, that they expect these large municipalities to have all these whiz-bang contraptions, which some I don't even think exist uh, <laughs> to begin with. But other ones, they, they expect that you can get positive identifications from the most minuscule thing. Oh, absolutely. And it, it is amazing. Yeah, you're going to be able to identify this person with one strand of hair as opposed to – not only, maybe you, you can because there's some – some DNA that they can get from there, but the whole thing is, how did that hair get there? That's what you need to know. Right. There, there's that whole. There's a whole process that you have to go through. Just because you have some evidence, doesn't mean bam, this guy's guilty. You have to go again. Six packs. When we show a six pack, just because that person shows and picks that person, okay, they have a one in six chance just to <laughs> guess. Okay, right. so that's just a tiny tiny fraction it points the detective in the right direction okay yeah okay they picked this person out and now i got to follow up with other evidence but the same thing with the csi effect you know they think well again they they throw that piece of hair on some type of scanner and bam that person's picture shows up right away right yes and yes. and they know everything about their it. history their you know where they went to school their their parents names and just for the the listeners uh six pack is a photo array it's generally six photos uh one of them being your potential suspect and five other photos that are shown at the same time uh, so that, you know, for identification purposes. Yeah, they're supposed to be similar but not identical, okay? <clears throat> and then there's the whole other thing where you give an admonishment. A lot of places seem to forget certain portions of what they're supposed to do with these six packs. Right. G generally, the admonishment says they may or may not be there. Uh, and I have found that some of that admonishment doesn't generally get to the, uh, the person viewing them. Right, and, and, and well, we'll go on six packs for a little bit because this is this is the thing. When I have a six pack, for instance, I'll have it upside down when I bring my person in, so they can't see it. And there's that sticker that we put on there. We happen to have a sticker where I came from. It's the admonishment: the person you're about to see may or may not be the person that, that did this. But if that if somebody looks similar. Uh, let us know that type of thing. Right. So, um, and it's it's just as important to you know free somebody that you know. There's other admonishments that we give out on the street. You know, if you can identify them, then it's somebody. It's important to free somebody if they're not the person. So you talk to them, you say, and and you let them know. Okay, so do you understand the admonishment? That's the first thing you got to find out. Do you <laughs> right. understand that that the person may or may not be in here. So don't you're not obligated to pick somebody. So now. After they say they understand it, then you have them initial it and I have them date it. Then I would go on further and I would say, okay, now you got to remember this is two-dimensional. These are photographs. And, I'll, and I'll, I'll make a mention that, okay, like on your DMV photo, hmm, 
may kind of <laughs> may kind of look like it, may not kind of look like. I'd it. never be picked. Yeah. So, so that's. But now, as the police, we have different resources to get it. It may be a booking photo. It may be right. a DMV photo. It may be some other photo that we obtain from a school. Okay, whatever yeah. it is. So then. I'm going to tell him, I said, when I turn this over, you can grab this paper, you can manipulate it, you can look at it, you can cover your eyes, whatever you want. But I want you to think about the person prior to me showing to you because what mm-hmm. I want them to bring it up in their mind. And because, you know, again, this is just one piece of evidence, but I want them, if they pick somebody that's not the guy, that ends up being a little problematic for us. Yeah. Okay. So I let them know if you don't see the person, don't. Don't pick, okay? Right. There's no reason to pick. So then I would let them grab it, they turn it over, and then they look at it. They pick it up, and they look at it. And I don't do what I've read on some other reports. Oh, it looks like you're looking at number three. Right. What? Okay, that's that's not what you're supposed to do, because how do you know what they're looking at? Okay, because well, they're all on one page. And you're not supposed to suggest. So, you know, again, as a defense attorney, I love when I see that in a report. It's like, okay, this is just... Too suggestive, you know, you, you couldn't get it. And it's a good way to, to destroy a six-pack identification. Right. So that's why you don't do that. Right. So now, once they go and they and they go, okay, I'm going to pick number two. They'll point, that's the person who did it. I go, that's the person who did what? That's the person who put the gun in my face. That's the person who beat me up, etc. Right. I said, okay, circle your selection. Right. I'm still not touching it. Circle your selection, initial it, and date it. Okay. So then, now after they do it, I said... What reminds you? What what does that person remind you of that person? Oh, I'll never forget his face, or um, he's it's that, it's got that same big nose, big ears, whatever it is. So you you write that down in your police report, report. You know that hey, this is how we identified him, and you don't give percentages, okay? Because usually you guys are pretty good, the defense attorney. <laughs> so yeah, I'm about eighty percent. Well, you sure it's not seventy three percent? Or 82.5%. You know what I mean? So you don't do that. It's well, either the person or not. I like it when they say like 70 or 75%. And, you know, like, you know, just, so if you were on a test in school, that would be a fail. Yeah. <laughs> it's a it's low like, C. Right, exactly. You know, so, you know, I, I love when I get those, those lower numbers more so than hey, I'm 99% sure. But, like, but it's it, a little harder. Right. But here's the key with this. And this is what I see in some of these, these agencies. I got I got an ID. That's by God. That's not it. Right. Like I said, we can go over and over about how eyewitness testimony right. is really poor, let alone a six pack. And and that's if you have nothing else, at least where I came from, the DA would laugh and just they would say, "No, we're not going to take this case." Right. And, and unfortunately, you know, I don't know if it is just um, in LA or if it's just maybe more of a sign of the times and and stretch resources and having to do more with less. But those type of things, at least in my cases, a lot of times don't happen. It's someone points it out. Yeah, I think that that's probably him. And all of a sudden, that's the guy. There's no follow up. There's no other evidence um, that's presented other than the eyewitness identification, which is one of the weakest forms of identification. Most people that have been exonerated through DNA the reason they were convicted was by eyewitness identification and generally only one eyewitness. I mean, people have had alibis where they've been in another state and yet convicted uh, because jurors think that if you've been a victim of a crime and you've seen someone once, you will always remember them. 
And it's just it's just not true. Oh, it's, it's definitely not true. And I'm even somebody that's, that's putting this stuff together. And right. I will have other six packs and doing other things. And I'm, I go back and I go, where did I put them? <laughs> I can't even remember. And I created the thing. Okay, right. so let alone somebody. And it depends on how long they saw them too, because somebody, you know, some of these people, they're they're witnesses, and that's a good question for me because I would, I weigh that fact. Am I going to show this person a six pack when they saw the person for a moment? Right. Well, I, we could go on and on about this. I wanted to get into to some of the technology that they show on CSI, but again, we uh, have kind of run out of time. So uh, we're going to have to next time get in start with the the Wizbang technology and and what's real and what isn't. Uh, but I want to thank you for coming on this week. I appreciate it. It's always uh, fun and interesting when you're around. <laughs> well, thank you, <laughs> to say the least. <laughs> and uh, for our listeners, thank you. Uh, this has been your best legal defense with Lonnie McDowell. Appreciate you listening. Until next time. Thank you for tuning in this week to your best legal defense. Lonnie McDowell invites you to join him along with another guest expert next Saturday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Until then, enjoy the rest of your weekend and stay safe.